Hey, thanks for checking the show out today. We have a great guest, entertainment journalist Matt Wake is on, and we're going to talk about his career, his thoughts on the music industry, some of his favorite interviews that he's done, and so much more. So if you love music, this is a great one. Get ready. Please welcome Matt Wake the chuck shoot podcast how are you doing matt i'm good chuck how are you thanks for having me man great yeah thanks for being here so yeah i kept seeing your name on twitter i felt like every time i go on twitter somebody's either liked your tweet or shared it or commented on it and i was like and then when i saw the article on sleaze rocks about uh phil lewis from la guns and he singled you out as uh, his favorite interview out of a whatever it was 125 or 200 interviews or whatever i was like i kind of want to pick this guy's brain a little. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I didn't know that Phil had told uh, them that uh, that that was his favorite interview. Obviously flattered, huge fan of Phil and L.A. Guns and Girl. And, uh, you know, when people do a lot of press and they actually didn't hate talking to you, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that maybe was why he liked that interview so much? Because you're, you're like a true fan. You're like a hardcore fan. You were bringing up like more just like album tracks and things and. I think, um, and I've, I've said this before, but um, good research gives good questions, which gives good uh, answers, which results in a good article. Um, and I think a lot of times these people um, get asked the same questions about the same stuff. And um, yeah, it could be worse. They could be digging ditches, but you know, we all, it gets old saying the same stuff all the time, but um uh, you know, try to make it interesting for them. And, you know, a, a key thing for me is also, and a lot of people are hip to this, but you start with what's new. They're there to, uh, it's, it's a business thing. They're there to promote their new, uh, work or whatever tour. And, you know, if you start off with like the legacy backstory, like history stuff, you know, I don't think you get them on your side as quick. If you think of interesting mm -hmm. questions related to what they're promoting now, I think that gets them into it and I, and you go from there. Well, yeah. What I noticed that was interesting when I'm reading the, the interview is that you, you asked him a lot about things that he liked rather because I'm always thinking like, what's interesting to me. And then I think that the audience will find that interesting, but you were really asking him stuff about, like some of his deep influences and, and music that he really liked. And I think that's what got him excited maybe. And, you know, he yeah. gave some really good answers, like that band, the heavy metal kids. Uh, one of the singers he mentioned that he was, had inspired him was com coming up uh, England, having some really cool singers back then was this guy who was the singer for this band that was called in 1974, the heavy metal kids, which is kind of a early name early time to have that name, but I loved, it was a cool band. It's like, sounds like glam rock, humble pie. Like, um, uh, wow. Yeah. I've never heard of them. So yeah. Then how did you, I know you're a fan of uh kiss guns and roses, obviously LA guns. What other bands did, I mean, it seems like you are pretty eclectic with your music taste, right? I mean, did you, when did you start listening to music as a young, young kid or teenager? Or? Yeah. So, um, uh, I was the oldest child and um, my parents, you know, they weren't like, they were awesome, but they weren't like super hit music people. So like um, the first band that I kind of found on my own and loved was Motley Crue. They're the first band I loved and I still love them to this day. Um, Me too. Uh, and, you know, um, like you mentioned GNR and then, you know, from GNR, you, and it's funny how things lead to each other because I found out about guns through, uh, they were opening a leg of Motley's girls, girls, girls tour that was coming through where I lived. So I was like, I haven't heard of them. I'll buy the tape. And this was early after Appetite came out. And I was like, this is awesome. And, you know, the, my buddies, I played it for, you know, they'd like welcome to the jungle, but the rest of them were kind of like, this, does this band have like five singers? I was like, no, it's one guy, but he is insanely cool and good and different. Um, and from there, like you, you read, oh, the, their original guitar player was Tracy Guns. 
And then you're like psyched when you see the LA guns release and I think it was 88. Um, and then like, even like, wow, this singer, Phil Lewis, he sounds cool. And then you read up on him and you're like, what? He was in a band called girl with this, the guitarist, Phil Collin from Def Leppard. Right. Before they, before they made it bigger, you know, like it, it's, you know how it is, man. It's, yeah. You go down the rabbit hole, but that's harder to do back in those days. Uh, you know, before the internet, you had to like read a lot of rock magazines and things. And I'm assuming. And there were a lot of good ones. And, you know, I, some of them, you know, I bought, but I'll be honest with you, man. Like a lot of us, you know, I'm 50 years old, but like you'd spend time like in the magazine aisle of the grocery store, like while your mom was getting groceries, like reading Metal Edge or like, you know, in college, like I might have not had a ton of money back then to buy every issue of like Rolling Stone or Spin or whatever. But uh, I started, I guess, subscribing to those in college. But um, uh, and then, you know, the occasional hit friend, like you always had that one friend who was like getting uh, trading thrash tapes before thrash had made it. like what Metallica. This is awesome. Um, but everything from like that, uh, you know, kind of hard rock and heavy metal of the eighties. But then, you know, I love the black crows. I love Jane's addiction. Uh, I guess, you know, some of the, even to like the white stripes, I liked them a lot. Um, recent bands. I like dirty honey a lot. And, you know, I think they're really strong and, uh, you know, it's, and, and I also love, and I certainly get the what people ding them for, just like. Uh, but Greta Van Fleet, I love them. I think they're great. Um, you know, uh, but you know, if you're, of course, you, you have to expect and understand they're going to get dinged for the Zeppelin thing. But it's just like I like Neil Young, but if some people think his voice is gets on their nerves and they don't like it, I can understand that perspective. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, well, it's hard to reinvent the wheel at this point with rock music, unless you're going to start having a DJ and getting and getting going the electronic route. I mean, and people miss Led Zeppelin. I mean, you can't see Led Zeppelin live anymore. So Greta Van Fleet might be the closest thing. I, I wish they would do a couple Zeppelin songs. I wish I think they should just embrace it personally. You know, I love it when they lean into it. Like I've seen like in some of their, uh, you know, they haven't released a live DVD, but they've released some pretty long concert excerpts on YouTube, but they'll have like the song remains the same style production where, you know, and the song remains the same where there'd be like four Jimmy pages, you know, that kind of video effect. They'll do that kind of stuff. They're like, wow. They, and the guitar player has kind of like a suit with like Cosmos type stuff on it. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, and I think they're starting to really, you know, I hear a lot of Rush in, you know, from their last couple of albums in there too, like early Rush stuff or there's a difference, you know, yeah, they, yeah. Rush was kind of a Zeppelin clone early too, but uh, anyway, and also I think a key thing with Greta Van Fleet, there's no blues in the singer's voice really, mm-hmm. or not a ton. It doesn't have like Robert had a huge, uh, and he's obviously, the Greta guy's obviously it was a musical theater kid. It's really easy to hear that. Like, oh, I never thought of that, but yeah, I could see that because they were the costumes and like I saw them live once and they, yeah, I feel like there was a lot of like flowery backgrounds and things and. And you know, and I loved them, and you know, I, I saw them play a club here when they were first starting, and they were very good, very young, but I'd love to see a big production now and like, uh, yeah, but there's times where you know with the 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 suits and some of the photo shoots, I'm like. Dudes, just come out there with like no shirt on and leather pants, like you know, slash in '88 or something, and you know, enough of the cosplay. But uh, it's right. cosplay—that's what it is. Yeah, you're right. But you know, Queen, you know, Freddie with the cat suits—you wouldn't wear that, you know, driving down to the liquor store probably. But like, uh, uh, you know, but it's it's all part of the trip. But um, uh, I don't know, man. It's you know, it's cool having, you know, rock bands are just fun to think about. Like, yeah. Well, so you mentioned queen. Are you a fan of the struts? Cause that's a very queen sounding. They're, they're kind of the Greta Van Fleet for Led Zeppelin. The struts are kind of like for queen. 
Yes, I've heard they are very good live. I would like to see them live. My thing with the struts is it seems to me lean into the rock thing more quick, trying to have like Kesha. It seems like they don't make a lot of overt moves to get a ma more mainstream, more pop audience. Mm. Like the tracks kind of sounds, you know, it's kind of got, a, I mean, is this Maroon 5, like some of the production or like you got Kesha singing on it. And like, it's like, I feel like, just rock the fuck out. Or rock the hell, <laughs> you know, rock out. Yeah. Like, lean into rock, quit trying to like sneak rock into pop. Like, hey, if we wear, if we dress this up as pop a little bit, but you were at our hearts for rockers, maybe that'll help us make, get a bigger house. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's, it's got to be hard though, as a, as a rock band, a new rock band. I mean, because there's some really good ones like Greta Van Fleet, but even Greta Van Fleet, when they came here, they played the marquee, which I think it might hold a few thousand. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to really grow as a band if you're doing straight rock. So I kind of get that, but I, I prefer them to stick to rock as well. And another thing I think that's, I, I think a lot of the most talented record producers, I think they work in pop and R and B and rap now. Whereas, you know, you had all these brilliant producers because that's where the money is. Yeah. And, and, and you know, um, they, I'm sure they like rock too, but um, I mean, uh, you know, it's like all these brilliant producers in the heyday when rock was the rainmaker, moneymaker. Like, it, it helps these bands, man. It helps. It helps having that, you know, three thousand view, uh, three thousand foot up view of like, okay, I'm not in the band. A little more of this, a little less of that. Like, uh, it's kind of like. I don't know. I think that's an underrated thing that I think as far as because those produce, I mean, you think about like the rock of the 60s, 70s, 80s, mid 60s through mid 90s. How many? I mean, it's just amazing. Like, I'm not the biggest Pearl Jam or Nirvana guy, but I love Stone Temple Pilots. I love Soundgarden. But you can't argue. I mean, those song, the singing was awesome. One, there's a lot of really good rock singers. And I think maybe some of those guys now probably are doing the kit, the guys that would have been those, the new one, the new good rock singers. I think a lot of them are, you know, probably pop singers or R&B singers or rappers or, and, you know, the like innovative guitarists, like, you know, Tom Morello is probably the last truly innovative rock guitar player that's reached a big audience. Like I think, Maybe the guys who would have been the next ones are designing the next Apple Watch or the next social media platform, I think. Or they're DJs. A lot that's the cool thing now is DJs are rock stars, which is so weird to me because when you see a DJ concert, I mean they're literally pushing buttons on a computer and pumping their fists in the air, and people go nuts for it. I mean, those concerts sell out way bigger than a Greta Van Fleet or Struts. Way bigger. But here's the deal. You know, you think back to like, I mean, Van Halen's a classic example of this. I think obviously Def Leppard is. Um, rock bands that bring in young girls have a lot of young girls. Women drive the trends. Women drive the trends because one, uh, you've got them going, them buying the stuff. But then guess what? You've got a lot of dudes going because they want to be there too because you know, the, the, you know, the young women are there and that's what young dudes are interested in. Yeah. So and some people just like that music. I had a roommate and this was like, uh, I guess it was the kind of mid early two thousands. And he would listen to, to EDM music all day. Like just when he'd be like studying and on his computer. And I was like, cause to me it's dance music. If you're going to listen to it, you're going to dance, but he would just listen to it to like chill, which was very strange to me. Yes, that is, it would not be my thing either. And uh, <laughs> um, I think another thing rock has, like, think how danceable, like, ACDC is. Like, a lot of ACDC songs are really danceable. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, uh, um, Van Halen, there's some danceable stuff in there. Like, I think hard rock that's danceable without trying while still being rock and not overtly trying to be like, Oh, we're going to 
put a DJ scratching on this or have a, you know, a drum machine on this one song. Like, I mean, even Judas Priest, like living after midnight, that is a jam. You know, you can shake your ass to living after midnight. But um, well, I think the thing with rock for me is a lot of those songs are songs that you can, you're going to sing along to. And then, so then when you start singing, then, you know, if you're like me, and especially if you've had a couple beers or whatever, then you're really going to get your hands into it and do all the moves and stuff. And, and I don't know if I call that dancing, but it's like rocking out, I guess. I don't know. It's fun. I have a good time. Yeah, man. And that's, you know, hooks, hooks, man. Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of good, uh, I think there's a lot of good young bands that can play well, that come up with some cool riffs or stuff. And there are some good singers, but I think it's a small, I mean, but to have a singer that has good melodies and they write good sing-along courses like you're talking about, Chuck, like, I, I just don't know if there's a, a, as much as that in the rock realm as there used to be. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, I mean, we can talk music all day. I want to come back to music, but I do want to ask too, like when you're growing up, were you fans of, uh, of movies and TV shows and comedians? Cause you interview other entertainment people besides musicians, right? Yeah, totally. And you know what? Like, that's the thing, the creative process. I mean, yeah. What, if you're making a movie or making a rock album or like coming up with a, a set of jokes, if you're a standup, like it's all the creative process. Right. So like, it's interesting and those people are inherently interesting to talk with because of like, you know, yeah, there's craft in it, but also like uh, Keith Richards, there's, uh, you know, he's always said he's like an antenna. He doesn't just sit around. Well, I'm going to think of a rip today. You know, it, it like, and it happens as a writer too. Like I'll think of like a story idea or, you know, a turn of a phrase, but I don't really think of it. Sometimes I do, and I'll refine things, but a lot of times it's like, where did that come from? But uh, as far as uh, movies, like as a kid, I mean, I mean, I was like the perfect age, a little kid when Star Wars came out. So like, you know, that kind of immersive storytelling. Mm. And I think an underrated thing about Star Wars is like, and even later stuff that I love so much, like uh, uh, Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, like, they didn't just like, here's all the, here's the start of the movie and here's all of the main characters or most of them. They just roll the characters out slowly and subtly as a um, part of the journey, like, as opposed to like, okay, here's all our characters, main characters, and this is who you're going to be carrying and watching. Uh, right. No, I think he's the master of that. I, I find it sometimes annoying, though, that so many shows and movies now try to emulate that style and they don't do it very well. So it's confusing. Tarantino could do it because he he was the, like I said, he's the master of that. But so many other people try to copy that. And it's almost annoying to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, but I mean, you know, uh, I think. You know, and it's a tough, man, to be interesting and good for like, um, say, two hours for a movie or like six hours for a TV show over different episodes to be good. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard enough to come up with a, a rock song that's three minutes that millions of people will want to hear and think is awesome and is good. And then multiply that times out to two hours or to six hours or to like for a franchise and sequel. It's like. That shit's hard, man. But um, uh, comedians, you know, um, I think some of those guys are some of the smartest people around. The really, really, really good ones. Uh -huh. right? um, I remember me and my then wife saw Aziz Ansari several years ago do a show in Nashville. And, you know, this... It, it's well chronicled some of the stuff that he's been through since then. But like, um, I would just remember that one, it was really good, really entertaining. I was like, but secondly, I was like, this guy could be a brain surgeon if he wanted to, he could invent like, <laughs> I think that's what his parents wanted too. Yeah. You know, and he definitely has it in him. I mean, yeah. you know, and so I, I think, you know, 
you know, clever people are interesting. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cartoony kind of people in, you know, whether it's music or stand-up comedians or, you know, film kind of people who hear that. But I don't know, man. The interesting, clever people, clever people are interesting no matter what. If if the, uh, you know, if they're a cab driver and they're clever, that's interesting. They can be interesting. Some people just are, man. Anthony Bourdain. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, people love him. Loved it, and he was just. Some people are just. They have it, man, and you know they work at it and develop. Like he was a workaholic and determined, and you know. But I mean, you can't go to the store and buy. You can't take a master class video course online on how to have be magnetic. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. And there's, I mean, there's some people that you just when you. I don't know. You probably do. You do most of your interviews in, on Zoom now, or maybe you've done some in person, or with some, or some on the phone, or has it been a mix? Okay, for a long time, a lot of them, particularly personalities of a certain notoriety, were on the phone. Yeah. On the phone. Yeah, because I live in a tertiary market. Okay. But it'd probably be different if I like worked for spin full time and lived in New York or whatever. But. What I, I love Zoom. I love Zoom interviews. One, because they kind of see into your world, you see into theirs. You don't step on each other as much. Like I can tell exactly when they're done talking about yes. answering a question. And they can tell um, through answering a question. Um, you know, they look into your, you know, not like it's a deep meaning. Again, it's a business transaction. I, I don't think that like, you know, these guys are gonna are now my bros. Like and I've learned the hard way before that that it, it that is not the case. But um Well yeah, it's like uh the almost famous when Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, you know, training the kid and he's like he's like, Don't become friends with the rock stars. They're gonna make you feel really cool, but you're not cool. So don't be friends with them. <laughs> and that's like really good advice because it's true. And they and you know, they may try to buddy up to you, but usually it's you know, probably just good business move, honestly. Yeah, and you know, you know, wow, and God, I love that movie so much. It's just got so much heart. And I remember when it when it first came out. I'll be honest with you, I was like, man, they'd be all doing a bunch of blow and heroin, and like this is kind of like the Disney version of seventies hard rock. Like, um, but think if it was made more like Boogie Nights. I haven't watched Boogie Nights in decades. It's that was one of those movies where I was hanging on every scene when I saw it in the theater. I was just like, what is going to happen next? Like every scene, I was just like drawn. And, and I think it's almost like three hours and I didn't want it to end. I was like, I want to keep going with these characters. Where does it go? <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Uh, another one like that, we mentioned Tarantino and Pulp Fiction earlier. I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater when it first came out. Packed theater. And when they get down to, I mean, literally, when the, the scene by where they were in the basement of the pawn shop, yeah, like, everybody was like, literally on the edge of their seat, like, what the fuck is? Because so many movies, and that's what was so brilliant about his early stuff. Like so many movies, especially around that time, you're like, okay, I can read the uh, tagline on the movie poster or the. VHS box at the video rental and tell you what's going to happen. You know, to early yeah. stuff, you had no idea what was going to happen. The first, when he lost that to me was kill bill. You know, she's going to kill bill. It's in the title. Now, is it stylish? Is it well-crafted? But that was the first time I was like, Hey, I'm walking b- before the movie starts. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah. But- that one was very, I think that's a polarizing Tarantino movie for there. It's weird. Cause there's pieces of that movie that I just love that I think are brilliant. But then there was a lot of gaps where I was kind of like, almost feel like he maybe should have cut it into one movie. Or, you know, how good would that be as a limited series? Yeah, I there think, you go. You know, I think, oh, I mean, oh. I'm sure a million people or a lot of people 
I mean, surely that's his next move. He said he only wants to make 10 movies. Yeah. But I mean, come on, that is perfect. Limited series on a, like a HBO or uh, whatever. Oh. He'd be I'm in. Yeah. Play. I just had Jizzy Pearl from love hate on and, and he, he does a whole Tarantino homage in his book. And uh, we talked about him retire and like, he can't be done. Right. Wouldn't he want to be a mentor or a producer or something? I mean, it's just, it's sad if, if he just retires because that is to me, that's wasted talent. Yeah. And I, I think he's mentioned wanting to write books and I'm sure that would be interesting, yeah. but he has such a vis- visual panache, you know, and yeah. Jesse Carroll, Love Hate, how cool was that record, man? That uh Yeah. 91, the debut album. Yeah, they're the first like two or three, I think, are 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 pretty good. And then even some of his new stuff, I like it too. It sounds I'm like, wow, this sounds pretty good. So yeah, he's a fun one. But back to you. So movies, TV, comedians, you're you know, you're you're a fan of all this art. So when did you start getting into journalism? I know you went to University of Alabama. Was that when you first started? Do you work in the newspaper there or did you do high school or? You know what? It, it's, I'll tell you the, the, the story there. So in, um, at the University of Alabama, I was going to do, I was studying advertising, but I think, uh, you know, one too many bong hits. I was like, one day on the joint, like, I don't want to trick people into buying stuff, man. So I switched to public relations, which part of that you had to take journalism courses. Okay. So I took, I actually, I think I took it one journalism course at the university of Alabama. The only two things I remember from that are, well, three, one, you know, ask your most difficult questions later. Don't start with, so why did you fire your drummer? Or that's good advice. That's good advice. Two, you know, the inverted pyramid, you know, of classic, you know, more hard news type thing. Most important thing first, let's let and in descending order into the least important thing about that story. What feature writing, you kind of mix it up a little more, but um and set the scene. And the other was the teacher of World Week. The what? He was a dude, the instructor of my journalism class wore a wig. That's the, that's, those are the late like things. Like a noticeable wig, like a Phil Spector giant, like wig kind of thing. More like trying to pass it off as real hair kind of wig. Okay. Uh, That's definitely uh, memorable. So you graduate from Alabama and then your first job was at this uh, Valley Planet. Is this like a full-time thing or is this like a side gig or what is it? Tell me about Valley Planet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Valley Planet was a uh, in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama, where the uh, rock, uh, space camp is. Uh, it's now the most popular city in Alabama. But Valley Planet was an alternative weekly. There used to be one okay. of these in almost every middle-sized city or college-sized city or up, um, you know, where it would have kind of like – they were kind of ragtag weekly publications – with coverage of, you know, entertainment and arts. Um, but, you know, before that, I tried to to be in bands and stuff. Like, oh, yeah, and, I was going to ask about that, too, because obviously you have the guitars in the background. So you did play music as well. Yeah, tried to do that for about 10 years. And eventually, you know, I, I was in New Orleans at the time doing bands there. And, like, uh, you know, my bass player was... Uh, addicted to heroin, then methadone. Uh, my significant at the other, my significant other at the time had crazy substance abuse issues. I just I turned 30 and, like, you know, I don't think the Black Crows are ever going to call me to be their lead guitar player. You kind of, I was good enough that that's a problem with, I have B talent as a musician. But the problem about B talent is sometimes it feels like a talent. Like, mm. you know, you know, now B talent, if you put a, the right chemistry of a few B talent guys together, it can turn into an a level band. If the chemistry- well, yeah, because can't a lot, I feel like there's a lot of musicians, it, you know, I, and you talk to a lot of them. I talk to a lot of musicians who I, 
I can't, I mean, I personally, I'm not a musician. I mean, I tried to play guitar. I suck, but I really can't tell the difference between this drummer and that drummer. And this drummer may be in a huge band, but they don't sound that much different than the other drummer. And I think it's because some of it's uh, time and place. Some of it's, they're easy to work with. There's all these other factors that kind of go into success with some of these people who may have quote unquote B talent. And also like, uh, I think uh, an instance like you're talking about, if they're hooked up with the right singer who has the right songs and is a good enough performer, I mean, you know, and that's where it comes in kind of, Life is Plinko, like the game on Price is Right. It's what you, it's not just you, it's what you bounce off of. Right. Well, I don't know if you, you you must, I think you, did you interview Jason Aldean or you've, you're familiar with him, obviously, but I interviewed his, uh, his drummer, Rich Redmond, and he was telling me his story how he was in Nashville for like, I, I don't know, it was like seven or 10 years or something. And he was in a million different bands as a drummer, different styles of music, you know, metal, reggae, all this other stuff. And then when he found Jason Aldean, he's like, I'm sticking with this guy. I'm going to go wherever he goes. And I mean, that's worked out really well for him. So, you know, sometimes it's like sticking with, he said that a lot of the other people that he saw that were maybe more talented than him, they just didn't stick with it. And they would leave Nashville. They'd get a different job or they'd quit the music business. And you know what? That's a great point. Um, I have a friend who is the drummer for a pretty big star that, you know, he paid for similar thing. He was in blues bands. He was in regional R and B bands, but it, it, but he stuck with it long enough. And when he connected with this guy, this is a guy who has songs again, sing and people and his following six. And he has a great career now playing drums for this guy. But, um, uh, so anyway, I tried to do the music thing, realized, you know, the Black Crows aren't going to have me uh, be their new lead guitar player. My girlfriend at the time, who had her stuff really together, she was like in advertising, was a pro, uh, real sharp. And she was a friend before and a friend still. But she's like, hey, you know a lot about music and you have a cool way with words. Why don't you try to be a music writer? I was like, ah, those guys are all failed musicians. And, and back then, like, it's more wide open now, but the lens of what was cool and good. Like I remember reading like the record reviews in a, a publication, a major publication that in the same issue, they like trashed like a, a new Motley Crue album that I loved. It had a lot of good songs on it and they gave like, you know, and Hey, some rap is good, but they gave like a good review to some jive ass rap artist that, no one remembers their name now. Like, and I was just like, there was a lot of that too, where I was like, well, people don't really like, you know, uh, my music doesn't really have a lot of critical uh, um, uh, credence in these things, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and I got the opportunity. I um, So after like the music thing kind of petered out for me and, and, New Orleans, I just got tired of slopping food on a plate for a day job or, you know, um, or, you know, working in a guitar store and rearranging the guitar chords for eight hours in a day. Like, you're just like, I'm 30 years old. This isn't really <laughs> working. I came back home to my hometown, went out to uh, a bar, and I ran into a college friend that I had creative writing courses with, minored in English at Alabama. Um, which I think was essential in taking creative writing. Um, kind of the merging of like what I learned in public relations classes, journalism classes with the creative thing. I think uh -huh. it's helped me have kind of maybe do something interesting sometimes. But she was like, hey, my friend that I ran into at the bar from my creative writing classes, she's like, Hey man, I'm working for this alternative weekly. We need writers. Why don't you come write for us? You were good. I liked your writing in our class. I was like, sure, I'll do it. I'll do it. And actually, like, I also uh, sold advertising at this thing. That's how bad I want. I was like, wow, I can have something to do with that's actually a viable career that still has something to do with doing cool stuff every day. Like, you know, I'm not in a band. But, you know, uh, 
this would be a cool way to make a living. Um, and like one of the first people I interviewed was BB King. He was that's like, cool. Yeah. Uh, maybe my second or third interview. And like, uh, <laughs> I remember his pseudonym to call it like back then you this cell phones, phones weren't quite, this is 20 years ago. Cell phones weren't quite as big with people, particularly older people. And you know, like I call it, and also cell phone reception was kind of shitty. So for, for interviews, you often use landlines. Sure. So I was supposed to call into his hotel, BB King's hotel and his, I'll never forget it. His pseudonym was pump Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I, I don't know. I think it's just funny, you know, like, uh, you know, like a lot of those rockers will have like kind of, sexual innuendo kind of uh pseudonyms for hotel check-in names or used to back in the day uh um but uh so yeah so that was a key it's all about getting you know little toe holes uh and i got enough clips there where i got started writing for the daily uh, here in huntsville which you know daily newspapers before you know it's well documented the tough time now but back then that was a cool Thing to get into i started writing freelance for them then i got a job at a small uh uh, uh community daily in um clemson south carolina in that area um and see there you got to interview stuff like uh who's the uh, like zach brown like when he was like coming yeah. up so you'd get to interview now they never talk to a small market uh paper like that but so there are uh, there are opportunities like that, like um, and I they had me start my own alt weekly there, which was good experience because then you're you're used to working with people and you're on the other side of the glass. Like okay, I know how it feels to be the editor now, so I want to be that way when I'm working for people. Consider that. But anyway, from there I got in with uh, uh, doing kind of the Greenville. Greenville, South Carolina is a pretty cool market because it's small enough that it's not a pain in the ass, but it's got cool, nice stuff. And I got a job there working for their foe all all weekly. Their Gannett paper, which Gannett owns USA Today as their flagship. They own a lot of... um, Yeah, that's what my girlfriend works for them. I think they own Channel 12, or they did. I don't know. Uh, What's that? They own a lot of cheap TV channels, Gannett. Yeah. but anyway, there, you know, I got to interview, like, that's the first time I interviewed Nikki Six, you know. Um, yeah, it said Molly Crew on your on your resume thing here. And uh, so was that just Nikki Six, or did you interview the whole band? Nikki's the only one I've ever interviewed, but I've interviewed him for LA Weekly uh, a couple of times. Um, he's always really thoughtful and great. And the big thing at, at the, in Greenville, I got uh, I get hooked, got hooked up. Gannett was also doing a nationwide network uh, online called Metro Mix. They had them in all these markets. And eventually, oh. they, I mean, they're like in Austin, New York. Anyway, the music editor liked my stuff and was started using it in other markets. Like, um, you know, if, say, uh, um, say someone like... Uh, Slash, who was on his solo career at that time, was coming through right. the Carolinas and I interviewed it. Then they'd use it in other markets. How does that work? Do they pay you to pick that up or they give you like a flat fee or how's no, that? No, no, no. I feel sorry for photographers because they have it worse. But like, uh, yeah, like there'll be stores, stories now, even like the AP will use. And it's cool because it gets your name out there and your content. Um, uh, the, I'll see. Yeah, and, uh, syndication stuff gets syndicated a lot, and I'm like, wow, my, I didn't know my that story was also on U.S. News and World Report, or you know, uh, in Oregon at some place or whatever. There's and, and some of these companies own, you know, a lot of different outlets in different markets, but. A key thing, I, I kind of got off uh, uh, off the track there, but the music editor, Andy Herman, was a very key person in my career. Um, 
He was the music editor at Metro Mix. Then later, he became the music editor at the at LA Weekly in Los Angeles, where he resided. Still, resides. that's a big one, yeah. And so, after I left this Greenville job, came back to my hometown, Huntsville, was freelancing for Pace some, which was kind of a big deal back in the day. Uh, they're still around, but. It, it, for a while there, they were kind of right under, you know, like spinning Rolling Stone in terms of a place you'd want to write for. But um, anyway, Andy, once he got that LA Weekly uh, music editor thing, he connect, you know, he was like, hey, man, we're getting the band back together, you know, quote unquote, like, and he uh, brought in me and I think another one or two of his uh, Metro mix writers he liked in addition to the LA writers he was working with, but um, got to do that's my honey hole is like Los Angeles hard rock. Yeah. So I got a lot of chances to write about that and to be a part of like, I mean, shit, you watch the, the dirt movie and Motley Crue. There's a scene where there's a uh, issue of LA weekly with Motley on the cover. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. And, it's very uh, famous for sure. So, and, and he was a good editor too. I learned a lot for him. Like I would advise, you know, if people who want to be a writer, when you start working with good editors, notice how they edit it and give it your next story more to them in the first place. More like that. Oh, they like this, but hmm. not so much this. Well, I'll play to that next time. Uh, you can really learn from that. And also he had good ideas. Like he also taught me, and, and, and I got, I think you got to watch it as a former musician, as a writer, because musicians tend to, to be, okay, this stuff is great. I think this stuff sucks. But you have to realize there are really good artists in every genre. Like, yeah. My, right yeah how do you right? handle that? Because I think I saw in one of the jobs you were had to cover like the symphony and stuff like that must, as a rock guy, that's gotta be hard to cover stuff that maybe you're not as big of a fan of, or maybe you are a symphony fan, but there's gotta be something that you're covering that you're going, I'm not really a fan of this. So how do you approach that? You find every art and you know, the symphony and it's interesting. That's something people rarely cover now because we can track around 2012 media outlets started getting really good at, as things went almost totally to digital well they can track exactly what people read and what they don't what's hmm. you know before that in the print emphasis days they had subscription numbers and they could do focus groups but they didn't really know who read like what stories but like now hmm. i mean you know, symphony's cool and great and skilled and all that stuff but there's just not you know a big audience for that but and to answer your question like am i a big pop country fan no but you do research on these people you ask them good questions that they haven't been asked all the time uh and they can be fun to interview and you know and you know uh, and, and sometimes you know someone's fame is the most interesting thing about them you know sometimes they're artists sometimes it's how they uh, found that guitar that where did where did they find that special guitar that's like on all their songs uh sometimes it's what was their band rehearsal place like when they the first time they jammed like the whole deal is to try to put the make the reader the person who's reading it on their phone or whatever like feel like they're in the room mm -hmm. you know you can't describe like the person's shoelaces and the doorknob and like the welcome mat but like uh Unless, I don't know, there's something really crazy about the shoelaces, but it's putting them there, man. Like, and that's what, that's the fun of it. And, and to be honest, I still, I love the research. I love the interviewing process. Um, 20 years in, it's, um, the writing is, is, it's getting more challenging for me because I've done it so much, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, because I mean, eight years until to get the, to the job that you have now at the Alabama Media Group. So in those eight years, I mean, like we talked about some of these other places that you kind of bounced around. Did it feel like 
a steady climb that whole way or whatever? Did you ever have thoughts of like, oh man, like was there, was there highs and lows during that time or thoughts were thoughts of uh, giving up or stuff like that? Sure. Sure. There's, there are periods of steady climb, but there's also periods like, whoa, I thought this was headed in the right direction and now it is not. And I'm, there's not really anything in it indicating it's going to go in the good direction again. Yeah, it's tough. And um, even in the, man, the last couple of years, like, you know, uh, there certain opportunities have come and certain opportunities have gone. I have an awesome staff job at AL.com, which is the website of the Birmingham News, Huntsville Times, Mobile Press Register. So I cover a lot of stuff related to North Alabama, but also a lot of my stuff's syndicated, somewhat syndicated throughout the state. Uh, my boss is really smart about, you know, don't just limit your stuff to writing about stuff that is from Alabama or coming through Alabama, but also sometimes um, that people in Alabama would be interested in. Like our readership loves 80s hard rock. They read a lot of those stories, which is great for me, right? But like, yeah. you know, the interview with Phil Lewis of LA Guns, I have a good relationship with, you know, I had a good interview with Tracy a few years back. Uh, and I have a, I've had a positive relation interactions with their manager. So, you know, that was, that wasn't promoting a gig in Alabama that was promoting the record. And uh, so opportunities like that come up and my boss his, his name is Ben Flanagan is in addition to being a good journalist and good at writing about entertainment stuff. He's smart enough to not, you know, whereas previous areas, regional and local groups were like, you know, they would want you to write about stuff that either people from where your outlet is based in on a local regional level or stuff coming through here. So that makes sense. But I'm so yeah. Hell to have a staff job because, you know, frankly, the freelance stuff, uh, in my experience, it's harder to get the higher you go up. Um, and some people are just so awesome that, you know, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go all the way to top. But I think it's very hard to ascend. I think those, you know, freelance budgets have gone down. The pay, in my experience, has gone down. Uh, mm. sometimes significantly like uh, but still I do some of it you know um, I've got something coming out this year with Guitar World that's really cool I've got something still coming out with Spin but uh, what I want to do next it's like you know I've kind of done that and what I want to do next Chuck is write a book because there you go you know I, I, the other day I was like you know what dude I've spent 20 years of my life lifting up other people and you know whether that's bands or you know comedians or writing about restaurants and chefs or like you know movie stuff or like but i'm like you know what a lot of these people are very talented but a lot of them i kind of think i'm as talented as they are in what i do and it's time and what, for me. exactly yeah and it's so what would your book be about Okay, I don't want to let the keys out. I don't want to give away the keys to the kingdom, but I will say it. My plans are right now are to do a book that is based on what I consider the best story I ever wrote, and it was for LA Weekly. Um, and it's in a regard of it's regarding the Tory. It's a story of the touring industry that hadn't been told, and but a lot of a lot of major bands do. Okay. I'll have to check that out. So this is kind of a cliched question I know, but what, what is your favorite interview? Was there one that really stands out or some that really stick out? Yeah. Well, man, I mentioned uh, anytime you're interviewing someone who, when you were a teenager, they were on a poster on your bedroom wall. Surreal. Pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been doing this enough that, you know, early you might be a little nervous in your career on some of those, but now it's, you know, uh, it's it's really a thrill. Um, so that would be people like Nikki Six uh, getting to interview like Slash, who you know 
his is interesting because because time slots on interviews are often like 20, 30 minutes, something like that. But you know, he's kind of, this was for regional press. So, um, or for, uh, this was for Metromix. So it was for national press, but not the biggest outlet. So the interview slot was 10 minutes, but, oh, shit. but his interview questions were colorful, concise, interesting. You know, some people they'll take this long to enter, answer the question only this parts. Yeah. Really and interesting. But all his stuff was like a home run and good and interesting. And, you know, he'd been sober for a few years by then. Smart, funny. Um, and then, like, all these heroes I get to talk to now, like, you know, that I had their cassettes when I was a kid, like uh, Chips Enough from An If Is Enough or Tracy Guns or, you know, um, Anthony Quarter, the singer from Tora Tora. Like, I'd, I remember sitting, watching Dial MTV and um, Walking Shoes by... Um, I love that song. Tora Tora being on there. Or, you know, because a lot of those bands also that I think w- what was cool, like, you know, and maybe not on that level, but think of how many, think of how few bands now. Okay, let me back up. Think of how back in like the 80s and the 70s, but really 80s, you could name multiple members of the band, if not all of them. I mean, you know, whether yep. it was Van Halen, or Motley, or, you know, the different guys in Kiss, or, you know, even somebody of like Poison. I mean, everybody knew all four of those dudes' names. Um, even, you know, through, you know, even bands, even like Rat, Ellie Guns, and stuff like that. A lot of people, if you didn't know all four of them, you know two of them. Right. Now, how many real rock bands that have launched in the last five years or so ago. Can most people name one, let alone two, let alone the whole band? Like, and, you know, I think MTV had a lot to do with that because, you know, it wasn't just the singer in the video usually, but um, in the prominence of MTV and, you know, people still make videos, but it's not the same thing on YouTube, but uh, because you have to, it's just different. It's monoculture versus customized culture. Um, Totally. Yeah. Well, it's another interview you did recently. uh, I mean, because Bob Saget, he just passed away, and you had interviewed him this summer. And I read that. That was that was a really great interview too. Some interesting stuff, like how he got the role and how he met your mother, and and uh, because I think it was something like his daughters went to school with the creator's daughters, and like. I love hearing stuff like that. And you post a lot of those kind of tidbits on Twitter too. Man, you know, uh, I, I, he was a genuine dude. So, you know, I spent maybe 45 minutes on the phone with him, but. Oh, that's a long one then, huh? Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that's changing a lot. The interview times are going up a lot on a lot of people like, and also more people are doing regional press. I think with the pandemic, people want to give themselves the best shot, you know? Yeah. And if that means doing interviews, maybe they didn't do the last project cycle where they just did national press. Um, you know, not everybody's doing that, but I, find, I think a lot of people are. But like that Sackett interview, Bob Sackett, where he starts talking about, yeah, I was getting, you know, I got this awesome role. I can't remember. I think he was talking about Full House or I don't know if it was Funniest Home Videos. But then like he's like, you know, I got this great house, but then I also got a divorce. And like he kind of, I don't know. It was, it was really human, man. And I thought he was really genuine. And, um, you know, and, and anytime someone like at, at the end of the, you know, I don't include this usually in there, but, you know, sometimes, you know, one of these big guys at the end, they'll go, good interview, man. You know, like, you know, and Nikki's done that. Um, uh, Bob did, um, and these, and it's the highest, and that's why I'm so grateful for you pointing out the thing about Phil Lewis from LA Guns. Like, he, yeah, that's so cool. He does a ton of interviews, and um, but the the whole thing is like, these people are just <laughs> inherent inherently interesting, man. And uh, I mean, just I can't imagine like, and that's what part of the reason I want to do a book. Like, aside for from a few iconic you know, journalism pieces, 
most people aren't going to re remember an uh, article or interview 20 years from now, but I can name you all the dudes in Poison. I can name you everybody who's ever been in the Black Crows. I can name you yeah. everybody that's ever been in Kiss. Like, I, let's to create something that people care about that long and, you know, most of the time brings them joy. Like, I mean, what, what I mean, what, an, what a, what a life, you know, Eddie Van Halen's birthdays today. <laughs> I think about this all the time. Like, you know, especially before like the nineties kind of self-serious artists, like I love the black crows, but you know, they take themselves a little too seriously. The grunge dudes did of most of them, but, uh, but how much fun I had listening to Van Halen, you know, oh, like yeah. in the car with your buddies. Like, like I heard, <laughs> I was listening to, uh, I was on the treadmill. I was listening to uh, the other day and listening to Van Halen, the 78 de debut in the, uh, that song, feel your love tonight. And I'm just like this, I'm telling you, man, this makes, takes me right back to being a kid and like, I've got a decent drive. I've got a decent car with a good, with a bitchin' stereo on my way to go pick up a hot date. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, a thousand good times, Van Halen. Like, you know, uh, that, that, that was just a special band. And Eddie, like, uh, yeah, he was a badass, but man, like, the, the joy and like the smile in his virtuosity no one ever has no. ever had that it's like hendrix you listen to him i love him he's great but i'm like yeah this dude's gonna die like I just, it's just so there's just a dark undertone and you know eddie had some darkness too like you listen sure. to atomic punk or you know obviously running with the devil like there's or the he the struggled with, with alcohol he was he was addicted to alcohol pretty heavily i think that was a Definitely a dark thing from what I read. You ever, you never had a chance to interview Eddie or member Van Halen, did you? No, that was, uh, that was a, uh, that was a bucket list thing. I always hope to interview Ed. Uh, I haven't interviewed anyone from Van Halen. My friend, uh, Greg Renoff, uh, of course, wrote the great Van Halen Rising book and on their early days. If anyone who watches this, if you like Van Halen or you just like how rock bands, interested in rock bands this is the story of how van halen started you know like their early years paying their dues playing the backyard parties how the brothers met dave and uh you know it, it goes all the way through their early stuff all the way to the end of the first tour with sabbath it's incredibly researched like he talked mike anthony was the one person in the band he was able to talk with but he talked a lot with the producer ted templeman and all, but the cool thing, and what I loved about these LA Weekly stories and some of these other stories I've done for like AL.com and other people, like talking to the other Guns N' Roses has a ton of people in the Guns N' Roses universe. Yeah. That's like true. The, the people who were in, like Chris Weber, who was in Hollywood Rose with Izzy and Axel. Like Izzy, you know, was living in his house. Like, Axel or Axel was, I forget which one, you know, uh, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, and, and it's well-documented people like Michelle Young or Dale James or like, you know, I think Guns N' Roses might have the most interesting kind of universe of, or um, uh, Mark Canner, who is Slash's big buddy, who took a lot of the early photos of them, like oh. uh, in his parents own Kenner's Deli, very famous Los Angeles place, uh, restaurant. I, that That is a fun thing because of what, like what Greg did, he talked to all these Van Halen universe people, these oh. bit players that help you construct a really, because it's like, it's like Steve Gorman's book for the Black Crows, who's an awesome guy. Uh, great interview and just a good dude. I, and I don't know him anything but professionally but he you can just tell what people are good people and i've interviewed other people in that band and uh, several and steve's just awesome but like the perspective of the band from someone who isn't the right. universe like 
Yeah, because the band probably doesn't remember a lot of the stuff too. I and mean, if they're fucked up and they're on drugs and shit, they don't remember this stuff. Where someone as an outsider is going to remember that when they were all fucked up, they're going to remember it better than the person who's fucked up. Also, and also like the egos aren't quite as big. And you got to have a big ego, I think, to be a in some context to be a songwriter and a kind of a front man or like the guitar hero thing. But like, like Steve, he wasn't team Chris and he wasn't team rich Steve, you know, it's like the catcher. And also like, I think with Steve's book is so good, you know, like there's, I think there've been a few former major league catchers who went on to become pretty decent managers. And it's like, the catcher sees the whole field. Mm-hmm. And I think the drummer, he's back there on the drum kit. He sees the whole stage, man. That's a good point. And his, his book, have you, have you read Steve's book? No, no, I haven't. Yeah. I, I, I love reading uh, biographies, especially rock biographies. Like I think one of the most recent ones I read because I had him on the show was uh, Stephen Piercy. I don't know if you've read that one. That one's really fast. And that's where he talks about Eddie Van Halen. They were neighbors and Eddie would come over and he'd be like, Hey, do you got any booze or like, can I keep my booze in your garage? I'm hiding it from my wife. And that's when I, I knew like, okay, yeah, he definitely had Eddie Van Halen definitely had a big alcohol problem. Like where are you hiding booze and stuff? That's awesome. You got to interview the Piercy uh, and what a great band rat and those records. So good. And his vocal like style is so perfect for that. And like a cool kind of sound. And I, I got to interview him once for LA weekly for, there's a time when uh, there were two versions of Rat out there. Ah, uh, yeah. We kind of did a story with that, and but it was a thrill again. Someone else who like how many times did I listen to Invasion of Your Privacy or Out of the Cellar when I was a kid? How many times did I see this guy on MTV? And he's like telling you, talking, telling you about the time. You know, we talked about the business thing of the two competing Rat bands at the same time but we we also got into like when they wrote round and round like you know i don't know man it's like you it's cool you got to talk to freaking stephen piercy man that's so how cool we're we're lucky we're lucky yeah no for sure it's it's amazing some of these like you said if you have a poster of them on your wall and then you get to sit down and do a face-to-face and they give you that time i mean it's just it's a real treat and then for the fact that you're going to record this interview or you're in your case, you're going to write it up and then other people are going to be entertained by that. That's, that's even more amazing. I like that passing along that, uh, that energy that you get from that person's music to like, yeah, we have a, you know, stuff we do. It's, it's a, it's a part of that signal chain, man. It's cool to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, I do like to end each episode with a charity. I can't remember if I told you, um, so I don't know if there's a charity or a cause you want to give a shout out to here. I know you're a big cat guy. I don't know if there's something else that mm-hmm. is near and dear to your heart. Um, you know, uh, yes. Uh, and where I got my cats for, I am a big cat guy. Pets are great. Um, they're good buddies, good comic relief. I don't know how you get your cats to cuddle with each other. My, our cats, we have two cats and they hate each other. It's like, really, I don't know how you do that. I think, you know what I think? Uh, I think they came from different places, but through the same shelter called New Leash on Life instead of New Lease on Life. But they oh, did, they like do foster parents a lot of times where these okay. families will take care of the little baby uh, puppies or kittens or whatever. And these cats, man, like uh, that would be, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. I think new leash on life here in Alabama, where I am, would be. Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's just okay. cool, especially I'll during throw, the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I'll throw that in the notes along with the website um, for with all your writings, and then also, I guess people could Google you or follow you on Twitter. Definitely follow you on Twitter because you post some really cool stuff in there. Like there was one the other day you had. I didn't know Mike McCready was in a, a hair metal band like in the eighties. It kind of sounded like Rat and. Uh, so stuff like that is really cool. To the picture you posted of of uh, Wyland for Scott Wyland from Stone Temple Pilots, where he played football. I'd never seen that picture before. So you're a fun Twitter follow for sure. Oh, thanks, Chuck. Man, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's it's fun that the the uh, the rock community on Twitter 
is really fun and generally positive. I think. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I'll get this episode out soon and I'll talk to you later. Cool. Sounds good, Chuck. Let me know. And All I'll right. Share it. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, thanks to Matt Wake. Follow him on Twitter. He posts some great stuff and he has written some great articles. So I look forward to that book when it comes out. Uh, if you enjoyed this interview, let me know either with a YouTube comment or on social media. And of course, make sure to follow and subscribe so that you're in the loop with future episodes. I appreciate all your support with the shows. I know the guests appreciate your supporting them as well. And of course, if you have a few extra bucks lying around, you can always donate to the guest charity. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. Yeah.